You're listening to a People of Note podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. A very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. Great to have your company, as always. In this program, I talk to someone who is a person of note and we listen to music of their choice. And I'm very happy to say that tonight, my guest is Mitch Reardon. Good evening, Mitch. Uh, hello, Richard. Hello. And I'm very pleased to have you on the program because you are an author of note, uh, particularly to do with wild life. And you've just written a book or just released a book called Shaping Addo. But uh, from what I understand, this is not the first book that you've done. This is, in fact, my 10th book. And there have also been lots and lots of magazine articles, but they've all been related to wildlife and conservation, either in Africa, because um, I did a lot of work up in Kenya as well as South Africa, or Australia. Did you live in Australia? I did. I lived, um, let's say I was based in Australia for about 30 years. Um, I was born and grew up in South Africa and went across to Australia, and I've now got dual citizenship. So if there isn't a, a COVID-19 limit on international travel, as there is, of course, I, I used to fly regularly between the two. My family is in Australia. I came back to, to South Africa for the bush over here, and... I, I was doing a lot of work in Australia with Australian Geographic, and the more time I spent in the great outback, the more I became aware that wildlife in Australia was declining and declining quickly. And unfortunately, a lot of that had to do with a relative lack of interest um, of most Aussies in their own wildlife, um, because a lot of it is small and nocturnal and not easy to see and isn't well known. Um, and w there were massive invasions of exotic animals like pigs and cats and rabbits, and which were attacking all the indigenous animals. And they were destroy being destroyed. And neither the government nor the people were really rallying to their, to their cause. Um, on the other hand, South Africa was one of the very few countries in the world which where, where, where protected land was actually increasing. Now, most of that protection was private land, but private conservation is just as important as public conservation, in my opinion. Well, in all conservationists' opinion, um, it's, it's, it's an extremely, it has an extremely important role to play. I'm interested why um, Australians should not be so interested in their wildlife. Is First of all, is there the same sort of diversity there that there is in South Africa? Well, you don't have the big charismatic animals in Australia like we do with the elephants, the lions, the rhinos, the hippos and leopards and things. Um, so a lot of it is, is, is small, but it's also unique. It's not found anywhere else. Um, they've got what are called marsupials over there. So when a, when a kangaroo, for instance, gets pregnant, instead of the baby developing in the womb, in the fetus, it actually creeps out as what is called a neonate, this tiny thing the size of a, of a bean. Um, and that's just, you know, like a butter bean. And it actually crawls up 
through the fur, clinging to it, and this tiny little thing, completely blind and acting totally on instinct, and climbs into the burrow and attaches itself to a teat firmly, doesn't let go. It stays there for several months, just like that in drinking um, high-quality milk. So um, there, uh, marsupials once were everywhere, but then as um, the... Uh, um, the other mammals came along and they, they, they you know, outcompeted them. Um, so what Australia had was unique and unfortunately it wasn't being looked after. And yeah. even the Great Barrier Reef wasn't really being looked after. And that was really discouraging. Yeah, well, we can talk about the, all of this will come out in as we go on. Let's listen to your first choice of music, though, because your music has a sort of evolution to it, too. You begin with uh, Little Richard. Let's listen to Good Golly Miss Molly. That was Good Golly, Miss Molly, featuring Little Richard, the choice of Mitch Reardon, uh, an, an, a nature writer. How, how do you describe yourself, Mitch? A nature yeah, writer. Essentially yeah. a nature conservation writer, because conservation has to be important. Um, the aspects that I'm most interested in um, are, are animal behavior and ecology. In other words, how everything fits together from the soil to the grasses and uh, woody plants that grow there, the animals that eat vegetation and the animals that eat vegetation eaters, so the big predators. Yeah. And there are amazing links that connect it all together into one functioning whole called an ecosystem. And if you start taking bits and pieces of that out, it affects the ecosystem in, in huge ways. And we see it here, particularly in places like the Kruger National Park, for instance, and to a degree in Addo, but in Kruger, when they had serious droughts, people used to be very concerned about the die-off because what affected uh, a lot of the grazers was the fact that there simply wasn't any grass growing because um, there was no rain. And they decided that they had to do something about this. And they started putting all these water holes in the 1970s. And that turned out to be disastrous because it wasn't a natural thing. And it cast a huge economic shadow. And it was only later that they realized that it seriously advantaged some species, but disadvantaged others. And um, Eventually, they closed down over half of all the artificial water holes in Kruger. So that's just an example of yeah. how exquisitely balanced um, our ecosystems are when they function naturally. Well, and we're discovering how exquisitely balanced our whole world is with um, the rise of CO2 emissions and so on. And, uh, I mean, on a, that's on a larger sort of um, macro scale. But I'm sure all these things are interbalanced, uh, just as the planets are interbalanced with each other on an even greater scale. So it's a wonderful story of coexistence, really. And your next choice of music is um, also about coexistence. This is the famous Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. That was Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley, featuring Elvis Presley, the choice of Mitch Reardon, who's my guest in People of Note tonight. Uh, Mitch, your book, Shaping Addo, is, I've read it, and it's really interesting. It's uh, published by Strake Nature, and it's only recently come out, I think. It only has. Um, in fact, this month, May. Yeah. Uh, it just, 
just hit the retail shelves. And was it, how long has this been in the making? Well, it was seriously interrupted last year because of COVID-19. So it's come out about six months later than originally anticipated. But I would have spent close on two years doing um, field, it was field research and photography. Um, and then another year and a half, really, just writing it all up. Yeah, and it's got beautiful photographs in it. Are most of these yours? Nearly all of them. The only ones that aren't are a friend of mine. He's a friend now. I met him while I was doing the work. Um, all those sort of oceanic shots of whales leaping out of the water because uh, Algoa Bay, which adjoins Port Elizabeth, um, is also, or large parts of it is, um, are parts of, of Addo as well. So Addo has, it extends from the, from the north in a semi-desert area, the Karoo, the Nama Karoo, over a mountain range, down into the great coastal plain, and then ultimately into the Indian Ocean. Um, and getting photographs of all the, uh, the marine mammals and the birds was, was, was just out of the question. So I was very lucky to be able to use photographs of um, a fellow called Lloyd Edwards, and he runs, um, he, he, he runs sort of marine safaris, if you like, in the bay and looks at all the seals and penguins, the African penguin, which is now endangered. Um, and particularly interesting is to be there when the whales come through, the southern right whale, humpback whales, several other species of whales as well. And is uh, Addo unique in that respect? Absolutely. Um, it's, Addo is, there is only one Addo in the world. Um, so it does have certain things in common with other big parks, but uh, in its own way, it is totally unique. It, it, it has its own vegetation types. Um, it actually has five of what are known as biomes, that's um, communities of plants. There are seven of them in South Africa, and Addo preserves five of them, which is just extraordinary that so many different biomes should be in an area which is now about 182,000 hectares. So, and because of this, you have this great diversity of both mammals and birds and amphibians and reptiles and, of course, plants. And very unusual plants, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, speckworm, does that appear anywhere else in South Africa or is it unique to that area? Totally unique to this area. And Addo is its greatest protection. Um, and people often don't consider this because Addo was originally created to protect the last of the Cape elephants, which had been shot down to 16. And then they still continued dying because although they were now protected, they wandered onto farms and farmers had very little patience for them and would shoot them anyway. And eventually the population uh, decreased to just 11 individuals and the entire Addo elephant population has grown and now it's over 650 and, 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 and getting bigger all the time. But it, uh, the park itself protects so many kinds of different things. And one of its most important functions is to protect what we call speckworm felt, this particularly unique thicket, um, which is only found in this particular part of the Eastern Cape. 
It's very interesting. And let's we're going to listen to your next choice now, which is, by the way, you must just say if any of these choices of music are very particular to you. They seem to tell a story. This is uh, Roll Over Beethoven with Chuck Berry. That was Roll Over Beethoven, a famous Chuck Berry song. Uh, Chuck Berry was sort of one of the originators of rock and roll, I think, wasn't he? He was, very much so. Um, and that's why he's in there. He, he, you know, he wrote uh, terrific stuff, but the the sort of ancestor or the or the um, the uh, first step in rock and roll was rhythm and blues, and it was people like Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, Howling Wolf, um, and various other, all black, by the way, interestingly enough, um, who turned and I mean their music was rhythm and blues. And as our next singer, who's coming up, Bob Dylan, said, he used to lie in bed at night listening to the black stations because they didn't play any of this music on the white stations. Um, there they were playing Pat Boone, which was very, yeah, not exciting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and what listening to Chuck Berry and Little Richard did for Bob Dylan was to set him off on a life of rock and roll and good music. Yeah. Are, are you a musician of any type? Not at all. I'm just uh, an avid fan. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of, not, not, not the old shows. I never saw Elvis Live or Chuck Berry, but I've seen Dylan several times. I've seen the Rolling Stones, Neil Young and all of those um, live. And uh, I, I, I never missed a show if I, as, you know, if I was in a country where, where they happened to be performing. Well, maybe there's another book for you about the origins of rock and roll. That would be quite fun. Well, that's been done before. <laughs> and by, and by uh, greater experts than me, I can tell you. My, my, my interest is, is, is purely um, pleasure and enjoyment. Yeah. Um, now, I'm just interested in the fact that, um, to go back to Addo, that it started off as one of the, the smallest national parks in Southern Africa at that time. It was uh, pretty small in, uh, what, 1931, I think it was read. But now, where did all this extra land come from, and how did sand parks get hold of it? They had to buy it, and um, the all the area around the original park, and you're right, it was, in fact, when it was uh, proclaimed, um, it was just 2,270 hectares, which at the time was the smallest national park in Southern Africa. And as, as a visitor, I went there um, in the 1970s, which was 40 years after it had been um, proclaimed, and not much had happened in the meantime. And you didn't actually drive through the park. There was a fence right around it, and you drove on the outside, and spec boom is particularly dense and particularly high. And you drive on the outside and you were, were supposed to peer through this impenetrable thicket in the hope of seeing something. And I remember the first time I did it with my girlfriend and later my wife, um, we, we did the entire circuit without seeing a single mammal. <laughs> and we didn't see anything until we got back to the little camp that they had there. And there was a water hole just outside it. And there was a little group of elephants drinking. So as a tourist um, destination, it really didn't work at the time. But shortly after that, 
the thinking of sand parks, or in fact, it was called the National Parks Board in those days, uh, changed completely from protecting single species like elephants and addo or Hemsbach up in the Kalahari or mountain zebra in the Craddock Park. Um, and they started looking at biodiversity. And there were all these farms around Addo, which were essentially um, subsistence farms. It was a struggle to get ahead. They had small stock like goats and sheep, but um, rain was poor. Um, it was a very tough living. And slowly, um, the, the government began buying up land that was coming onto the market and including it into Addo. And the result is that today, Addo is the third largest national park in South Africa. Yeah, it's an amazing story. And uh, after your next piece, which is probably very relevant to that area because they, they've had a long drought there, um, this is Bob Dylan, A Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall. Let's listen to that. That was Bob Dylan with A Hard Rains Are Gonna Fall, the choice of Mitch Reardon, who's my guest in People of Note. And we were just talking about Addo, and the fact that they bought up all these farms, somebody must have had the vision to do this. Who was that? Well, it had a lot to do with um, ecologists in the park. They, they were looking... They also began to realize the economic potential of... Um, national parks. So a park like the Kruger was attracting tourists, not only locally, but from all over the world. It was generating real money. So people don't think of national parks. Usually they don't in terms of money spinners. But Kruger was doing exceptionally well. And it became apparent to, um, let's call them sand parks, because that's what their name is today. It, it became apparent to sand parks that this could be duplicated in other places. And the fact that this land was becoming available in Adu, and they were working very closely with, at the time, it was um, the Port Elizabeth um, uh, University, um, with, with, with researchers there who were pointing out to them and coming up with draft plans as to how to go about buying land, developing it, and turning it into this... Um, profit-making national park. So that was the entire idea, and it has worked brilliantly. Um, there, there are some really interesting figures out there. Um, for instance, I'll just quickly run through a couple of them. Um, it's been shown that, and bear in mind that the whole area in, in around Addo was at the time extremely economically depressed. Um, it was discovered that, say, um, conservation created four times as many jobs as the small stock farming that had occurred there naturally, four times as many jobs. And so there was like one job per hundred for nature-based tourism compared to one job for 370 hectares for subsistence farming. And Addo has also created one-third of all the businesses within a 30-kilometer radius of Addo. So the people living in that neighborhood, a lot of them 
seriously affected by illiteracy, unemployment, HIV, AIDS, poor living conditions generally, um, love the park. It's, 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 um, it's been a great money yeah. spinner for them and created jobs and, uh, you know, has it's just justified its existence yeah. on economic grounds alone. Yeah. No, it's an amazing story. Uh, is there a parallel in any of the other parks in South Africa where they've bought up huge tracts of land in recent years? What they've done is they've also concentrated to a great degree on um, what they call transfrontier or cross-border parks. So um, the biggest park in South Africa is the Kruger, and it has hopes, once they can get poaching under control, of... Um, teaming up with a park on the other side, on the on the eastern side of its uh, eastern boundary in Mozambique, and eventually going through into Zimbabwe as well. Um, the Khalagadi National Park, which is the sec- second biggest national park in South Africa, has a transborder connection with Botswana. So put them all together, and they're absolutely huge. Yeah. So... This is so important from a conservation point of view because the bigger the land, the better the ecosystem functions. Yeah. Now, your next choice is uh, from the Beatles, and this is Hey Jude. That was Hey Jude, as performed by the Beatles, the choice of Mitch Reardon, my guest in People of Note, who's recently uh, produced a book called Shaping Addo, but it's only one of ten books which he has written. But this, being his most recent, is of course, and it's just come onto the shelves of, I should say, good bookshops near you. That's for our listeners. And uh, it's a very easy read and a very attractive read because it's full of really beautiful photographs by, uh, many of them by Mitch himself. Um, And it gives information not only about Addo, but about all the animals and the plants and the birds and the marine life which are involved with it. Mitch, one of the things that interested me when I looked, for example, at a map of Addo is that there are little enclaves, sometimes right in the middle of it, which are not part of the park. How does that work? (laughs) Well, this is one of the problems that they have. Um, When they started putting all of this together, there were pre-existing roads and even a railway line. And they're still there. So one of the problems, I mean, ideally what you want to have is all of these areas connected up together because one of the most important functions, particularly in a dry area like Ago, is the ability to move so that if one area is being hammered by overgrazing or whatever, um, the big game um, can move out to another area and give the area that was hammered a chance to rest. Now, at the moment, that's not always possible because there are fences, roads, and as I say, even a railway line um, separating them. So uh, the big plans for the future are to connect these up. And it may involve, and these have worked where they've tried them in places like the United States with large animals like elk and bears, um, to have overhead bridges where a herd of elephants could cross or a tunnel underneath a railway line where they could go under the railway line instead of going across it. However, it needs money. And one of the largest new areas 
included in Addo, still hasn't been fenced on its western boundary. And as as somebody pointed out to me, just putting up a game-proof fence on the boundary is going to cost more than buying the land did. Cheaper. So yeah. it's an expensive exercise. But I'm just wondering if there was a farmer who lived in the sort of middle of that area and decided he didn't want to sell his land, he would end up with a sort of uh, a game farm in the middle of an amazing um, uh, nature reserve, in effect. I mean, are there any are there any farms which didn't sell out to the to There's, the reserve? <laughs> there is. There's just one, <laughs> and um, it's 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 right up in the um, in the northern Namakuru area, um, which is known as um, as as um, Darlington, and there was one cattle farmer up there who held out. And he's still held up. You know, he's got a fence around his property um, and he's got his cattle and he goes to bed at night listening to the roars of lions. <laughs> Amazing story. But uh, we're going to listen to the Rolling Stones now. This is Honky Tonk Woman and it's uh, here it comes. This is a choice of Mitch Reardon. That was Honky Tonk Woman, uh, the Rolling Stones song. Uh, chosen by Mitch Reardon. He's my guest in People of Note. That's the program you're listening to on Classic 1027. It's broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8. And in it, I talk to someone who is uh, a person of note. And in Mitch's case, he's just released an amazing book called Shaping Addo, which is published by Stroke and is available uh, now. In fact, it's only recently come out. Mitch, just while we're talking about uh, publishing and so on. What, have you got something else in the pipeline now that you're looking at writing? What I'm doing at the moment is just doing articles, um, magazine articles, which I may ultimately put together um, in a book as a series of, of uh, short stories, or I may do something else altogether. I haven't made up my mind. In fact, I haven't got too many ideas even. So, I'm relaxing a little after the hard work involved in putting Addo together and um, giving it some thought. Yeah. And just in terms of, of publishing books in general, um, often I hear about people who self-publish their books because there's not a lot of money in publishing books. And I just wonder, you know, it's, a, it's obviously a lot of work to put it together. And is it worthwhile from a financial point of view? Actually, no. <laughs> if you want to make money, you. It was, I must say, it was, say, back in the 1990s when I did particularly well. Um, one thing about Australian Geographic, and they were a pleasure to write for, I didn't work for them. I was always freelance, which is the way I liked it. And they paid all my expenses, and they paid well for my writing, they paid well for my photography, they supplied me with all the film, anything, any film that was left over at the end of of the shoot, I would keep. And there were all these photo agencies. So I, I sent my stuff to an agency in New York. I sent it to uh, another agency in London and to another agency in Melbourne. And in those days, uh, they were selling well. And so I was getting money in from that. I was getting money in from Australian Geographic, who I also did two books for. Um, but then it all changed once um, 
film photography went out, which is which is quite expensive, and digital photography came in, and suddenly everybody was a photographer. So now a photographer, a professional photographer like myself, is up against keen amateurs who are producing brilliant stuff and are prepared to give it to a magazine for free, basically, just to see their stuff in print. And, you know, you can't beat that kind of competition. So right now it's become pretty tough. And frankly, where I made my money was in Kenya, and I was running a safari company there with the local Kenyan. And uh, that that was a real money owner at the time. And that keeps me going. (laughs) So are you... Uh, positive about the direction in which nature conservation is moving in South Africa? To a degree. Um, It was doing a lot better than it is doing now um, because I think basically if we're talking about um, sand parks, they're they're busy running out of money. Um, And South Africa was always the shining example of what was possible. So um, in countries that never really invested in their wildlife, like, for instance, down here, we can afford to, to, to fence in national parks. Nowhere else in Africa do they do that. It's just a piece of land on a map. They say this is the national park. Um, the elephants can wander out, and they do. Um, so do the lions. Um, and they simply cannot afford it. So it's, it's still the shining example. Um, I would say internationally, never mind just Africa. But um, times are tougher. Times are a lot harder now. There is less money to spend. And you're not talking just about COVID. You're talking generally now. I'm talking generally. Um, You know, I think probably the government would say themselves that we were big spenders in the old days and probably a lot of that money was uh, disappeared when it shouldn't have. Yeah. and now uh, the cupboard's almost bare. So, for instance, in the old days, Addo was allowed to, for instance, Addo has all these buffaloes, which are um, disease-free. And if you're setting up a private game park and you want a buffalo, you have, it has to be disease-free because buffaloes have the same disease or diseases as, as, as cattle do. So they don't want buffalo moving out of, say, the Kruger into an area that is, you know, a, a ranching, cattle ranching area, and then giving disease to the to the cattle. Although I must say it's usually the other way around. The cattle give the disease to the buffalo. In the old days, any buffaloes that were sold at auction, the money was returned to Addo, and they could use that, um, you know, for, for, for whatever they needed to do, to put up a fence or build a tunnel or build a bridge. Yeah. These days, that money has to go up to Pretoria. Yeah, and it seems as though the the bottom has fallen out of the wildlife market in some ways. It has to a large degree. Um, And people have sort of, we see now that they've finally cleaned up the act of um, breeding lions for all kinds of dodgy deals, you know, Um, getting lionesses to produce all these cubs and then the cubs went to a petting zoo and once they grew up they went out for this um um, canned hunting and hunting thank you exactly right yeah i mean that was all pretty disgraceful and now hopefully it comes to an end and then um some of them were actually just breeding lions so they could sell lion bones to the chinese who pretended that they were tiger bones and they'd make tigers 
you know, wine out of them, tiger yeah. soup and one thing and another. And it's just, um, it's, it's not the way to go, you yeah. know. And perhaps your next choice is pretty appropriate then. Helpless, this is Neil Young. That was Neil Young and his song Helpless, the choice of Mitch Reardon, who's my guest in People of Note. Mitch, just talking about canned hunting and uh, selling wildlife, we seem to have a problem. I don't know if there are pangolins in the Eastern Cape, are there? There are. There aren't any in Natasha. I think they're in the Eastern Cape. They certainly are in South Africa. Yeah. Um, but uh, definitely not in Addo. Oh, not in Addo. Okay. Not in Addo. So, no. But is there a poaching issue in Addo? No, there isn't. And that's all due to good, to good management. And unfortunately, um, the fellow that ran Addo, um, uh, who is now a good friend of mine, John Ardendorf, was frankly made to feel unwelcome at the end. Um, Addo has a really big uh, rhino population. And I can say without, you know, not a single Addo rhino has ever been poached. And that's not good luck. That's good management. Yeah. And John was just excellent. And he's not even in the country anymore. He now works um, at Majeti National Park in Malawi for African Parks, which is a, a, a big um, conservation group operating in Africa, which comes into countries like Malawi, Rwanda, Chad up in the north, and says, you've got an amazing wildlife area here. We'll run it for you. You pay us X amount, and then you open it up to tourism. And um, John works for them now, and uh, he runs Majeti Park. And it's a beautiful spot, and I'll probably be flying up there next year, hopefully. So who would have made him feel unwelcome? Uh, the folks in, you know, things are changing up in, uh, up in Pretoria, and there is a push to uh, get the old guard out, if you like, and yeah. to get um, the new the new broom in. And this has happened very much in, in, in Kruger as well, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why you have such rampant rhino poaching up there. I mean, the tentacles of, of rhino horn, of the rhino horn trade, um, go very deep in, in, in government circles in this country. And it's... Um, it's it's and it's one of the reasons why there's just been such. I mean, the the white rhino population, although they won't release figures, and probably because it's so embarrassing, but it's gone down from about eight and a half thousand white rhinos in Kruger to now just over two thousand, and they proudly say, well, poaching's down. The reason it's down is because there are so few rhinos left, and they're difficult to find. And what they've been doing is capturing them and putting them into heavily protected areas, and yet. The poaching goes on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's one of the great problems. I was actually approached by somebody who said, um, we can give you the lowdown on what's happening in Kruger, but I just, frankly, I'm too old for that. I yeah. don't want to get involved in it. You know, Gosh. so I, I, I said, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pass. All right. Your next choice is uh, Jimi Hendrix with Purple Haze. That was Purple Haze featuring the famous Jimi Hendrix, the choice of Mitch Reardon, who's my guest in People of Note. Tourism uh, obviously has been badly hit by COVID. 
have you found um, or have you had any reports that local tourism is improving? Are more South Africans visiting game parks? Um, South Africans are, are, are big visitors anyway, um, particularly Kruger. I mean, South Africans made up about 50% of the visitors to Addo. But it was really important, the number of tourists who came in, um, and a lot of them were on ship cruises that would pull into Port Elizabeth and then they'd go into Addo for the day. And they would spend up big. And um, it, it, it really made an enormous... Um, I mean, it's been worked out that it's estimated that one new job is created for every 10 foreign visitors. So that's how important foreign visitors are. So they are seriously missed in this country now. Um, and yeah, yes, particularly, it's true particularly cruise problems. ships, actually. Yeah, particularly cruise ships. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and all the big parks on the Kruger Park's western boundary, which are all privately run, um, they're expensive. And nearly all the visitors there are tourists, uh, are foreign tourists, and uh, they're just not coming in. Just to fill us in also for our listeners, are there similar private game uh, lodges and so on throughout Africa? Or is that particular to South Africa? I know they are in Botswana, but is it particular to Southern Africa or does it apply all over? Oh, no, they're, um, <clears throat> they're huge up in, up in Kenya, Tanzania, and now increasingly in Uganda. And even Rwanda's got, on, got in on the act, and um, African Parks has gone up there and opened up several new parks, which are apparently just scenically spectacular, lots of wildlife. Um, so tourism is a huge attraction, and people come in, to the to the parks to see the wildlife, but they're big spenders. I mean, an American coming to South Africa finds it extraordinarily cheap to be here, um, and they they buy all sorts of things while they're in the country. So the fact that the U.S. dollar and the the the, the euro aren't coming in um, has had a terrifically negative impact. And where are you based now? Where am I talking to you? I'm at home in my house in Wilderness uh, on the garden route in, in Western Cape. Okay. And this morning I walked out my front door and within minutes I was on this lonely stretch of coastline next to the Indian Ocean, uh, sea mist swirling around me, my only company, <laughs> all these <laughs> black oyster catchers. It's wonderful. just a wonderful yeah. part of the world. And just over the mountains from you is another huge area that's been fairly recently uh, discovered, as it were, which is Bavian's Kloof. Yes, um, that that is being opened up. That doesn't have a lot of big game at the moment, or if it does, they're difficult to see. Um, and it's not the big... I mean, we have to face reality. When, when, when people go to a national park, your average visitor to a national park is looking for the big five. Um, you know, elephant, rhino, buffalo, lion, leopard. And I mean, Addo like to advertise themselves as the big seven because it's got those five species. Plus it's got the great white shark and uh, the southern right whale as well. So um, Pavian's Kloof uh, is 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 a lot more s subtle or nuanced, if you like. It's a beautiful area, but 
you don't have the dramatic big game. Yeah, but outdoor um, entertainment for people is becoming more and more popular. I'm thinking of uh, sort of mountain biking, walking, hiking. Generally, things to do with being healthy are becoming more and more popular. Which is a good thing. Um, People recognize that you've got to exercise if you want to live a full life. And doing those things is exactly the way to do it. I I, I would recommend rather than go to a gym, sorry, gym owners, but I would recommend get out into nature because not only are you exercising your body, but it is so wonderfully calming. And you just come back refreshed, fulfilled, and at peace with the world. Plus, you're also breathing a lot better. Yeah. So walk on the wild side is your next choice. This is Lou Reed. That was Walk on the Wild Side, a song by Lou Reed. And I'm talking to Mitch Reardon, who has recently released a book called Shaping Addo, uh, all about the Addo uh, National Park, uh, which has, as Mitch was saying, uh, the big seven. But there's a whole section in your uh, book also about the smaller creatures, tortoises, dung beetles, uh, and all the, the brilliant flowers and uh, that are found in that area. I, You know, the, the insect world is a fascinating part of all this ecology too, isn't it? Very much so, and a really important part. I mean, I don't know if they've done this exercise in Addo, but in Kruger, they, uh, somebody up there was studying the, uh, the insects, and they worked out that the total mass of insects in Kruger outweighs the total mass of mammals. So that includes all the elephants, the giraffes, the buffaloes, and everything. Um, the, 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 the simple weight of insects in Kruger outweighs the weight of all the mammals in the park. That's incredible. So that's how important they are. Yeah. And, and fascinating. I mean, the, the, uh, the lives of insects and how they interact with plants and all of that is just an amazing story. And a lot of this is told in, in your book. And I just want to say again that the, the book has incredible photographs in it. So many of them by Mitch Reardon himself. So do get along to your nearest bookstore and get hold of Shaping Addo, which is published by Strake. Now, one of the other aspects that I particularly love about going out into the bush and into game reserves and so on is the wonderful night sky, which you don't see in the city so much more because of light pollution. And uh, I'm sure the same applies at Addo, where you've got these beautiful clear nights. Certainly is, and um, it's just amazing. And while you're out there looking at um, this amazing galaxy above us, you're also listening to the most extraordinary night sounds. Not only lions roaring, but hyenas howling, jackals wailing, and the night birds, you can hear owls and you can hear various other things. And you really get a sense of an entirely different world out there. I mean, what you can do um, when you're in Addo Kruger, most of the national parks in this country now, is go out for a night drive. You can't do it uh, yourself, 
but you can go out um, in an open vehicle with a, a driver guide who knows exactly where to go and where to find the interesting things. And you see an entirely different world because most animals, not all of them, but most animals are either nocturnal or diurnal. In other words, they operate by day. Um, and at night you go out and see species that you wouldn't see during the day. Yeah, and I I always enjoy going out on night drives. I find it fun just, and it's sort of quiet and relaxed. And as you say, you see all sorts of things that you don't normally see because a lot of things dance in the dark. And that's your next choice by Bruce Springsteen, Dancing in the Dark. That was Bruce Springsteen with Dancing in the Dark, the choice of Mitch Reardon, who's my guest in People of Note. Mitch, in your travels around, uh, are you always on the lookout for some good story or do you ever just go out to relax in nature? I had to admit, um, I've just uh, had a story accepted by BirdLife magazine um, called View from a Hide. And I said in there that um, I, I, I now find it strange to travel anywhere and not write about it. So I have become um, addicted. If you, yeah. <laughs> I go to places, I find things interesting, and I want to share them um, and just tell people this is out there. It's waiting for you to come along and have a look at it. And, and now more and more, um, I go to places that are off the beaten track that a lot of people don't go to. And luckily, I was able to do that in, in Addo as well, because everybody more or less concentrates in the southern section where all the big game is. But the northern section is also intriguing. But you can't drive right through the park. So you've got to actually drive out of the park and then drive all the way around to the top into the Karoo. And then you come in at a gate up there yeah. and you see a totally different aspect. Um, also, I work very closely with um, John Ardendorf, the head ranger and other rangers there. And they would arrange that I could do things and go into sections of the park that were closed. And so I'd have it all to myself. And that... I must say, was one of the highlights. Yeah. And have you traveled quite widely throughout Africa? Basically, um, I've done, um, you know, I, I, I lived in Atasha National Park. Um, that was my first book. And that was the idea. Um, because to do the sort of stuff that I wanted to do, I knew it had to be different. If I was going to get a book published, it had to stand out from the crowd. And what I recognized was that one of the most intriguing aspects of wild animals was their behavior, was the things they did, why they did them. Um, so I went out there and I was looking for not just um, portraits, you know, a giraffe standing looking at you. The giraffe had to be doing something. And the caption would explain exactly what it was doing. And the text below the photograph would deal with two bulls, you know, swinging their heads at each other and why they're doing it. And um, two male lions in a battle or a lion chasing zebras or something like that. And I spent four years up there actually working as a ranger for what was then called nature conservation and, and tourism. And in my spare time going out and doing my photography and uh, doing my writing, and then went down to see a publisher who actually was Strakes. Strakes is now part, I should mention, Strakes is now part of the great Penguin Random House publishing um, empire, really. 
Um, but in those days, it was just tricks. And I knew that to impress them as a newcomer, I would have to be able to walk into their office and show them pictures that they'd never seen before. Yeah. And I was able to do that. I gave them a slideshow. And at the end, their editor-in-chief, after a long silence, <laughs> editor-in-chief said, I think we've got a book here. And it went on to ex to sell extremely well. And that was it. I was launched. Yeah. And really, these books are an invitation to people to, to go on a journey with you. And that's your, your next choice, which is Nora Jones, Come Away With Me. That was Nora Jones with Come Away With Me, the choice of Mitch Reardon, my guest in People of Note. Uh, Mitch, are you particularly interested in uh, the larger wildlife or are you interested in all sorts, birds, insects, uh, bush, animals, everything? Or do you have a particular thing that you really like? What I like are things that um, I haven't had a lot of opportunity to uh, to deal with in the past. And I, I mentioned earlier that <clears throat> I live in wilderness and I'm right next to the Indian Ocean. And that's if I turn south when I walk out my front door. If I turn north, I very quickly pick up a walking trail in Wilderness National Park. And I always go down very early in the morning because that's when wildlife is most likely to be active. And I had some amazing experiences all on foot, all by myself. And to me, um, this is one of the highlights of my life. I, I came down and I, I could see that there was a new predator around. Um, there are a lot of rats that, that live in the bush. And these are not like house rats. These are vegetarian rats um, called flay rats or marsh rats. And something was catching them and eating them, but it was leaving behind the stomach and it was leaving behind little scraps of fur. The rest was gone. The fact that this was on a walking trail meant that it wasn't a, a raptor like an eagle. Uh, it had to be a ground predator. And my guess was that it was a caracal, which is also known as roikat, which is a, a, a lynx-like big cat, but not as big as a leopard. Um, but a lot bigger than a domestic cat. And one morning I came out and there's, there was a little an antelope down there called the Kreisbach. It's the Cape Kreisbach. It was, and you only rarely saw them. They, they became aware of you and they would duck down into the grass and you would walk past without seeing them. Then they'd get up and continue feeding. But this one was standing and was staring at me and I stopped and looked. The, the whole thing when you're walking is if you see something, freeze immediately. Um, and maybe they won't run away. And this one didn't. But then it kept on looking to one side. So I followed the line of sight, and there it was. There was a caracal. Amazing. And it was looking between me and, and the Kreisbock. And eventually the Kreisbock had had enough and dashed off, and then the caracal turned and ran away too. And then later on I started seeing more of them, and they started becoming more used to me. We call it getting habituated. They became used to me. And one morning I came out, and there was a mother – and she'd sat up as I came around the corner and she had a cub with her and the cub ran off. And instead of her running off, which I expected her to do because she was very nervous, her ears were flat, but she didn't. She sat back down again. I'd frozen as I always do. And I stayed there and she sat down and slowly relaxed. And then the cub walked out, walked over and got in between her paws and was playing with her face. And then another cub came out and another cub. There were three of them. And they sat there, not far from me, and I just stayed there frozen. 
watching this go on. And eventually she got up and walked away with the three cubs trailing behind her. And every now and again, she'd stop and look back over her shoulder. And then eventually disappeared into the bush. And all this was taking place within, you know, 40, 40 meters of me, um, on foot, in the wild, alone. It was just magical. And, and not far from where you live. Exactly. I could yeah. hear the traffic on the N2 highway. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And I'm sure there are many experiences like this in South Africa and, and in, indeed all over Africa. And we just have to be open to them and ready for them. And we're helped uh, in this by people like you, Mitch. So I just want to say thank you to you for writing the book that you have, in this case, Shaping Addo, uh, because I think you really provide a service for people like me and many others and probably many of our listeners who enjoy wildlife uh, because we've discovered that many people who like classical music also enjoy wildlife and good wine. <laughs> so uh, perhaps your final choice then is very appropriate, which is Paul Simon under African skies. So here comes Paul Simon under African skies. That was Paul Simon's under African skies. And that's the final choice of Mitch Reardon. And it just remains for me to say thank you, Mitch, for being on the program. Thank you for writing the book, first of all. And thank you for coming on the program. Richard, thanks very much for having me on your show. I enjoyed our talk. It's been a great pleasure. And just once again, the book is called Shaping Addo. It's published by Strake, which is a division of Penguin. Uh, the story of a South African national park. And a fascinating story it is with amazing photographs. And thank you also at home for listening to the program. I'll be back during the week with full works from Monday to Friday. That's from 7 to 10, except on a Friday when it's 6 to 9. And I thank you all, and I hope many of you get out to game parks now as soon as you can, uh, because it's one of the wonderful things that we can do in South Africa because wherever you live pretty well there's a game park somewhere near you so get to it and if you can get hold of this book Shaping Adder then do do that and until next time from all of us here at Classic 1027 we wish you a very good night <laughs>